When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Monday, May 1st. Eno Saris here with Derek Van Riper. We have got a great show lined up. We've got one month in the books. We've got a new set of pitching rankings that went up on The Athletic from Eno back on Friday. So we're going to dig into the biggest movers on the pitching side, some of the biggest risers and fallers to this point in the season. We'll dig into why those players have moved as much as they have, focusing, of course, on healthy pitchers, injured pitchers, not necessarily a fun part of the conversation. Although we do have one injured pitcher that we have to talk about, and that, of course, is Jacob deGrom. deGrom left his start on Friday with right forearm tightness, and he's been diagnosed with right elbow inflammation, so he's on the 15-day IL. And that was just hours after he was number one on your rankings. He did just enough, <laughs> long enough, to move back to his rightful position and then just tore our hearts into pieces uh, again. And, so a kick in the groin. It's not like he's enjoying the, the lost right, he's time not either. This, either. This is not fun. <laughs> I feel like every time we talk about Jacob deGrom and his lack of health, it, the question I always keep coming back to is, we look at his velo and we see him throwing harder almost every year of his career. And you can't help but wonder if that is a contributing factor in this. It may have absolutely nothing to do with it, right? It could just be the human elbow can only take so much regardless. And if he was throwing 96 or 97 instead of 98, 99, the same sort of thing could have happened. There's no real way to know. But it's the one thing in his year-over-year stats that really just kind of blows your mind. And it it's not... It's just not working for him physically. So I don't know if we have any more than elbow inflammation as an explanation for the problem. Of course, they're going to be careful with him at this point. It's the beginning of a five-year stretch with the Rangers. Hopefully, this is not a precursor to Tommy John or something more serious, but that's always sort of kind of lingering there in the background with DeGrom. It's just it's such an unfortunate development because he has become such an incredibly dominant pitcher, and I feel like we just don't get to see him nearly as often as we should. Yeah, I mean the 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 research that's out there is uh, suggests that um, there are a few things that are the most stressful on your elbow. One is just straight up fastball velo. Okay, check. <laughs> the other is that breaking balls uh, at eighty eighty five are less stressful than fastballs, but breaking balls at ninety three might be more stressful than 93 mile an hour fastballs. Uh, that's, uh, there's a piece by driveline where they actually put the modus sleeve on and directly measured stress to the elbow, uh, for different pitch types. And they basically found velo is the thing, but, uh, you know, once you look at breaking balls by velo, uh, breaking balls can be more aggressive on the elbow. So he does the two things that are, and then the third thing really, uh, is pitching close to your max and he pitches pretty close to his max. So like he's doing everything wrong by health. You know, like the, the we don't know that much. Uh, that's my precursor to that. But, you know, there is definitely evidence when people say, oh, should he step back off of this? Should he, uh, you know, leave some in the tank? Should he sit, you know, 95? And my answer would be yes. It's at least worth a try at this point because this is now the third consecutive season in which he's going to miss at least some time and maybe a significant time. We don't know if it's going to be months beyond this IL stint yet. Still too early to tell. And it's interesting, too, that you know we look back at his career, 2017, 2018, 2019, Jacob deGrom topped 200 innings in three consecutive seasons before the pandemic shortened 2020 season, and then this run of three years of injuries. So and he was sitting 95 with a 88, 89 mile an hour slider back then. Yeah. 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 95, nine of the fastball back in 2017, up to 97, one 
in 2019. That sort of gives you the upper bound. Maybe that's where the, the sweet spot actually was. Or maybe it was throwing as hard as he was throwing for 600 plus innings over a three-year stretch. Maybe that's why he's dealing with this now. You know, it's it could be a cumulative wear and tear sort of problem. Yeah, uh, all things, though, point to this just being one of those grip your seat and bear it kind of things because you're not going to drop them at least for the next two weeks until you find out you know what the prognosis is they're gonna it's like the the, the dance is clear for everybody who's owned uh, someone like jake Degrom or even jake Degrom himself is just that you wait until he throws off the mound and then you, you and then he goes to triple a sugar land he goes to triple a you don't know what it means right you know, then they say, oh, well, he feels good and we're going to just rest another week. And you're like, well, if he felt good, why are you resting another week? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So no, it, it's the rehab assignment where he goes three innings, throws 40 pitches and strikes out eight guys. But leaves the mound saying he feels OK. And you're like, <laughs> no, no. of course, this puts the Rangers in a terrible spot, too, because given what he brings to the table, I mean, dominance pretty much every time out, not having him and replacing him with one of their depth options. It's a massive drop-off. And they've had a pretty weird season so far from Nathan Evaldi. I, I think it was a big step forward for him over the weekend because he had a complete game shutout against the Yankees. That sort of changed everything about the way his numbers looked. He went into that start with a 520 ERA and a 141 whip. And a complete game shutout with 8Ks ended up with a, a 393 ERA and a 115 whip. And whereas we're going to talk about, the league has changed a lot. A, a 393 ERA in this run environment is actually better than league average. So I think Ivaldi is on the right track. If you look at back at his last few starts, it's been a ton of Ks. He's keeping the ball in the park. He's not walking guys. It seems like a lot of the struggle really came in one start against the Royals back on the 12th of April. And we're still at that point in the year. Five, six starts where you can look back, one meltdown can make the ratios look pretty bad, and one gem can make them look really good. Yeah, he's he's uh, sort of tickling us a little bit with the, the fastball velo. I'm, you know, I've noticed that uh, his fastball stuff has, has climbed with every start. He started out the year at like 97 overall stuff plus. Now he's at 103. Um, and the stuff plus on his fastball now is 98. And if you look at his velo, uh, you know, he had a couple 96s, you know, at the end of the season and the spring and the beginning of the season, 95, 7, 95, 9, 96, 95, 7. And then his last start, 97, 5. Now, hold on. That's like the beginning of last year. So I do hope he doesn't go into that velo tail slide that he went into last season when he started the season high 96s low 97s and ended the season 94 and i think that part is just a little bit like the 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 grom thing where you just like you throw him because he's a good pitcher and uh maybe you're baby him through some but i think you throw him every start now you throw him every start, and you look up in the first inning and look what his velo is. And but you've already started. I mean, you've already, already committed. In, so. Yeah, you can't, yeah, can't swap you don't. him out. <laughs> you you could try to like monitor it. If it does start to fall below ninety four, then maybe put him in that class of pitcher where you're like, okay, now I'm going to be more careful about how I throw you. Even even if he throws ninety four and shuts the Royals out, be like notice that. Notice that he threw 94 and think about him if the next start is in Yankee Stadium or something. Maybe be like, maybe I'll maybe I'll put someone else in this week. Yeah, I think with Evaldi, you've got him 58th in your updated rankings in that sort of 40 to 70 range. Those are guys that you generally want to start, but you still choose some of those more difficult matchups as times to sit them down. A lot of it comes down to, as it always does, well, who's your alternative? Who are you throwing instead? Because you... You might not be walking into a better situation going to somebody else uh, on your bench, but uh, a good turnaround for Evaldi with that big start against the Yankees Four, on Saturday. Zero, zero rest of season projection using Jordan Rosenblum's projections. And uh, yeah, 4-3. Four, 4-3 three. Four, three is the new league average. So, oh, so weird. I, You know, it's kind of hard to uh, port that over uh, necessarily to... Uh, 
you know, what does a 4-3 league average mean for your league, you know? Um, because you obviously don't want to be league average, um, you know, in your fantasy leagues. And then every league has like a different amount of depth. Um, in my 12-team auto new league, uh, the median ERA is 387. Um, <laughs> in my 12-team AL only league. <laughs> oh, now we're going to get a number in the fours. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six. It's uh, four, three. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> um, so, uh, and by the way, I'm in third place and uh, have a decent amount of Ks and saves and doing well, but I have a 5-5 five, five ERA. <laughs> wow. Yep. So, I don't know. I would say that uh, a four zero ERA is useful in any league, um, but in a 12-team league, he's one of your lesser starters, and in a 15-team league, he's uh, one of your mid-pack starters. I would say, I'm guessing from this, that league average ERA uh, for a 15-team league is around four. So, he's about a league average starter now. Yeah, we've looked at the run environment a few times on this show this season, and I think the team runs per game sitting at 4.59 as of today, as of May 1st. That's similar to what we saw just two years ago in 2021, very similar to the shortened season in 2020. So we're not totally out of bounds compared to our our recent norms. It's up from last year. I mean, I remember looking at stats and, and seeing a lot of the conversation at the end of the season saying there just there weren't enough good hitters. That was really more the function of just what happened to the league as a whole. I think we're we're going to have maybe the opposite conversation when the dust settles at the end of this season. People are going to say there's not enough pitching, and maybe we'll see pitching go even earlier, or we'll see premiums placed at least mm. on the elite of the elite. Because you wrote about this at the beginning of the rankings with the with the new rules, and this is something we probably suggested before the new rules went into place. Avoiding contact is the absolute best thing you can do because contact is going to be punished more than it was previously thanks to where defenders are playing. So do you think it's worthwhile to place the extra premium immediately on strikeout pitchers if you're making trades in your league or making pickups? Because you're talking about you know a four ERA, a pitcher projected for a four ERA and, and their, their value in a 12-team league. I think it really depends on strikeout rate. Like a four ERA with a strikeout per inning, thumbs up. 4 ERA with a 7Ks per 9, I'm not sure I'm into that because that not only brings that downside, but it also causes you to lag in a category where you know you, you want to be very competitive. If your ratios are a little wobbly, you got to make sure you're dominant in Ks. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and uh, you know, for Eovaldi himself, um, yeah, it's not his best foot forward, actually, you know? He's a uh, he's a guy who strikes out. I mean, yes, he strikes out a good amount of, of players, but uh, you know, it's a twenty six point five and you know twenty percent for his career, and you know, sitting around twenty two to twenty five. You know, you when you when you're talking about elite starting pitchers, you're usually talking about thirty is the number you think of, right? Forty for Degrom, of course, <laughs> even more absurd. Yeah. Totally absurd. Let's dig into some of the risers from the first month of the season. And to do this, we're just looking at some of the differences in projections and you know, where players were in Eno's rankings when draft season was coming to a close and where they are now. Uh, Dustin May, I think, is among the biggest risers. Of course, health was a, a big part of it. Did he come back completely healthy? Showed us last year that he was back and able to pitch. I think it was just a question of, is there another level for him to reach in terms of stuff coming all the way back? What have you seen from May in the early going, and, and how does it give you, or why does it give you so much confidence in his ability to maintain elite ratios potentially going forward? You know, I'm for the most part, just trusting the numbers in front of me because uh, for my eye test, it works too. Uh, when I watch him, I think he's got dominant stuff. The stuff ratings agree with me. Um, and... Uh, 
I know, I know, I know. I got some feedback from this and people saying it's too high and, you know, he's not striking guys out. Uh, but we have seen him push the strikeout rate. I know 2021 was only 23 innings, but he had a 38% strikeout rate in those 23 innings. Um, and even last year, he had a 23%. Um, which I think will would combine with you know elite run suppression. He's not he's got the kind of stuff that won't give up homers, you know. Uh, so I think that matters. And then uh, I just think he's going to strike out more guys going forward because he's struck out he struck out more guys in the past, and he has this great stuff number. So um, I'm I'm trusting the projections on Dustin May, and you know he had a, not a great start in there in between, but um, you know even his bad starts are not bad. You know, like, yes, the the game against the Mets, I guess, was not great, but it's his only blemish, and it's I don't know. I I'm I'm still in. You know, look at his next start after that one. You know, people are like, oh, look, look, he he's due for a bad game. He had a bad game. His next start against the Cubs, he's six strikeouts and five and a third with two two earned. Yeah, every I mean, so five starts out of the six this year, two earned runs or fewer. Yeah, that Met start was a clear outlier. It's weird to see the K's down a little bit, like it, as far as they are, because I, I thought he had turned the corner pre-injury with the K rate. K rate seemed fine last year. I think we have seen enough to buy into at least a, a jump closer to like eight K's per nine, as opposed to the <laughs> the lower mark that he's carrying right now. Was he sitting at like six? Yeah, it's that's not Dustin May. The guys you watch that actually deserve. 6Ks per 9 or guys like Zach Davies. Dustin May does not have stuff like Zach Davies. Like That's very easy to see with your eyes, with the model, with past results across the board. Team contact still very good, even though it's not necessarily at the level it was previously. We, we've also seen swing strike rates much, much better than what he's had so far. Last year it was 12.9% pre-injury in 2021, 14.1%. So I have a hard time buying 6.8% as a new baseline for Dustin May in that department as well. The swinging strikes are going to be there. And, you know, fortunately for him, he's been very fortunate on balls in play to this point. A 198 BABIP, I think that's helped propel those ratios to this point. But his skills will almost certainly help correct for that in the months ahead. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, and, and then, you know, there is there has been some change uh, from start to start for May. He's he is looking to find, I think, the ideal mix for his uh, fastballs. He, you know, he kind of is a guy that used to be a sinker guy that's like trying to uh, push his way towards being uh, a four seam guy. And that's been uh, one of the big changes you've seen. But. Um, as each game has gone along this year, he's brought the uh, sinker back a little bit, um, and he's and he's going back to his roots as kind of a sinker breaking ball guy. I think in the end he'll be better for it, if, even if it's like a Logan Webb, like a power Logan Webb situation that he gets to, where he's you know a power uh, a power sinker slider guy. He's gonna have that four seam, you know, change up four seam cutter in his bag, you know. And uh, I think that'll be important for him um, as he as he figures out lefties and stuff like that. But, he, you know, there's been change over the course of the season as he's gone back towards the sinker. And I think that'll be uh, that'll be where he finds himself as a sinker slider guy that goes to the four seam more and, and cut her more against lefties. Yeah, I'm, I'm there with you. I think he's definitely a riser. Uh, maybe I would have him a little lower than you ended up doing, but splitting hairs. The point is, he's a big mover. He's probably a top 25 pitcher for me with ease, especially given some of the attrition we've had in this group. Freddie Peralta, also a big mover, also up about 28 spots. Same sort of movement as Dustin May. I think with Freddie, the thing that's really impressive for me is where he's locating his pitches. You see the four-seamer up under the hands of righties, pretty consistently elevated where it needs to be. The slider down and away from righties or backfooting it to lefties, just consistently down in that corner. The changeup staying nice and low in the zone. I know when you watch him, he still has pitches get away from him. The command is still inconsistent, but it seems like the control is getting better for Freddie Peralta overall. He's finding ways to locate each of those pitches 
more consistently. And this is a guy that's a lot different than he was when he broke into the league. I know because he's going into Colorado this week to face the Rockies and his debut was a Mother's Day debut at Coors several years ago. All of those old highlights are going around. Totally different guy than the guy that came in and thrived in that environment a few years back. I mean, yeah, to be fair, he's still, uh, the fastball is still his best pitch. <laughs> so he's still, to some extent, fastball Freddy. But, you know, this is one reason that I keep an eye on fastball stuff plus as separate from everything else. One reason is, first of all, that it is faster than any other pitch type. You know, uh, you can know a fastball stuff plus in 15 to 18 pitches. Um, so that's, that's useful for me in terms of really, really early season stuff. But I also wonder, and I'm not sure exactly how to research this. Um, it should show up in stuff plus as it is, but I wonder sometimes if there just is a threshold for fastball stuff plus where, um, uh, it's either just more important season to season, maybe it's stickier season to season, I, I need to tease out this idea that I think fastball stuff plus is a little bit more important than other ones. And so I'm looking at somebody like Kenta Maeda. I've said this before, like I know he's hurt right now, but one reason that we dropped him in my main event league was that his fastball stuff plus was sub 90, you know? And yes, he still had the splitter and the slider as, as pitches and there's still with good stuff plus and that pushed his overall stuff plus to 100 or 101, but maybe he's not the same as another pitcher with a 101 stuff plus, you know what I mean? And what I like about Freddy Peralta is he has that really great fastball and maybe there's another element to, to Freddie going forward right now. He's a great fastball slider guy, uh, that, that kind of has a show me curve. What if the curve improves? Um, what if he goes to a cutter? What, if, you know, there's all, there's like all the stuff you can do once you have a good fastball and he's good fastballs back. He spent last year, 92, 93, he's back up to 95. I think, uh, you know, I think you're right to look at the command because he hasn't had, he's had inconsistent command in the past, but I also think that, you know, just looking and seeing, oh, he's got the great fastball. Okay, put him back up in the top 40. You know what I mean? Like, it was almost that easy. And, you know, as I was looking further, 28.9, uh, 28.5% projected strikeout rate. Uh, so that pushed him up north. 3.5 projected ERA. That pushed him up north. Uh, the, he could have actually gone further than 23. Uh, and the only risk for me, the only reason he wasn't, he was, I have him right around like sort of Tyler Glass now, Carlos Rodon is that I guess there's still some injury risk with him. He is still kind of a guy who does get injured, you know? Yeah. yeah. Still had the arm injury last year. I think that was mainly sapped that velocity really didn't seem like he had it back when he came back. Uh, but you go back, like I said, 2018, 77.7% four-seamer usage on yeah, arrival. That, that was true fastball, Freddie. <laughs> that that's where the nickname came from. He has changed quite a bit to even get that down to the 53% range and, and to have an arsenal of four pitches that he actually throws. I mean, that's the, that's the surprising part. It's not just that he has four and he throws two of them a combined 5% of the time. He actually throws those last two pitches about 25% of the time in total, so makes him a lot more dynamic. Taking a look here at some other big movers up near this range. Jesus Lazardo pushing closer to the top 40. I, you just think about the players that the A's have given up on in the last few years. The Lazardo one, I think, was probably the most puzzling. And maybe there's always more to the story that we're not privy to, but it really looks like everything that people had hoped Jesus Lazardo could become as a pitcher back when the A's initially had him, it's happening for him in Miami. Yeah, I mean, it's not a great look for uh, Oakland development. I do think they thought he was closer to being a reliever uh, than anything, and that uh, the risk of him being a reliever and the chance to go for it and get Starling Marte for one player, um, you know, that was really uh, the 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 math they did. Um, and, and to some extent, I don't want to give the Marlins like a ton of credit for changing Lazardo because in terms of four seam ride or, or sinker vertical movement or four seam uh, or sinker horizontal movement, they haven't done much with him. You know, like, you know, the, the big thing is 
he's throwing harder. <laughs> I mean, that's really it. All those numbers are the same. And he went from, you know, uh, 95, high 95s uh, with Oakland to this year, 97.1. Uh, to some extent, if you think you know, if you think stuff is too complicated and it's not that great, sometimes you can just track velo, you know, and just be like, "Oh, oh, this guy's throwing ninety-seven now. Okay, maybe he's better." And you know, stuff plus tells you the same thing that these pitches that he's throwing are kind of more velo dependent than any because he's throwing ninety-seven miles an hour and only has a one hundred eight, one hundred four, you know, stuff plus on his fastballs. You know what I mean? Like there are other people who throw ninety-three who have who have better stuff numbers. It's not they're not great shapes, but he's throwing harder. And so that's enough for me to push him up. But you know, he's not as good as Freddie. Um and he's uh, his shapes aren't that as good. His projection is only for a three nine three 25.5% strikeout rate, and he has the same injury risk. So he ended up in my injury risk group that was a little bit further down. Uh, Tristan McKenzie, uh, Tyler Malley, uh, you know, mid-40s. Uh, you know, that's that's where I ended up putting Lazardo. Yeah, I don't think I've got Lazardo anywhere this yeah. year. I've always liked him. I, so, some of it was just kind of the, the preference for some of the... Um, the more injured players in that bunch. Some of that has worked out. Some of that has not. Hopefully there's some time for correction to take place. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of missing out on this. Curious to see where the whip ends up for him. Always strange to see a mid-threes ERA with a 134 whip. I mean, last year, over 100 innings and a 103rd innings. It was a 332 ERA and a 104 whip. The control's not really a problem. So I tend to think we're going to see a little bit better in that other ratio too as we look at Jesus Lazardo going forward. How about Joe Ryan, another one of your big movers on the ranks? And he just, I thought the league was going to figure him out after kind of seeing him for a year. Nope, turns out, no, nope, they're, they're just not. That's not happening so far. Uh, there have been some changes though. The Twins have been popping as a group in the pitching plus model throughout this season. So what is it about Ryan that makes us uh, capable of believing in these adjustments? You know, there's, there is something similar here to, to fastball Freddie, which is uh, that Joe Ryan's best, best pitch by stuff plus was always the fastball. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm talking myself into it right here, which is like, this could be a, a way to kind of identify guys. Like think of Graham Ashcraft, right? Think of Graham Ashcraft, Freddie Peralta, and Joe Ryan. They seem very different. <laughs> and yet they do have one thing really in common, which is their best pitch is their fastball. And, you know, in each case, it's like a cutter or a four seam. They're different. They're different fastballs. They're di good for different reasons, but they're good. And then they added something, you know, and I just see Graham Ashcraft's new sweeper. Joe Ryan added a new sweeper. Now, all of a sudden, he has three pitches over 110 stuff plus. So with the sleeper, the sweeper, the the, the splitter, the and splitter the forcing, too, yeah. you know, like he has a legit three-pitch mix. It's no longer, oh, we need to depend on, you know, uh, just like not letting him see the third time through the order. And it's only, it's all deception and it's all this. And he's just a fastball guy with good command. Like, no, man, he's a, he's a full three-pitch guy now. And uh, when I see that, that's that's enough to be like, well, he already he always had the good fastball, and now he's putting the arsenal around it. So yeah, I definitely pushed him. Uh, I remember you know looking at it, and I think I even pushed him. Um, yeah, I, I I guess I could have pushed him higher, but he was bumping up against like Shane Bieber and Hunter Green types. I've got him uh, in the mid twenties, and. Uh, you know, with a 27.1% uh, projected strikeout rate and a 3.84 ERA, um, you know, I think some of it has to do with uh, unfavorable park factors in some cases. Or, uh, you know, I I've, I felt like I could have pushed him harder. You know, I felt I could have pushed him almost into the top 20. You know, you could have maybe even pushed Zach Gallon a little bit more too, because he has been outstanding. 36.2% K rate so far this season. A guy that's always had good command. Kind of put it all together from a control aspect last year with that 6.6% walk rate. He's cut that. He's at a 3.5% walk rate so far this season, too. The mix, you, know, you look at what he's got going. Four-seamer four seamer curve, change-up cutter, 
We've seen this from him before. This is not a new pitch mix. He's throwing the curveball a little bit more this year. I guess that's part of the adjustments, but he's always had this nice arsenal that he could throw pretty well for strikes. So I know this is probably the ceiling for Gallon, especially in the face of the velo dipping a little bit on the fastball. That's the one sort of red flag I have with him. Is that Velo has not recovered to pre-injury levels fully yet. But this is a tick more than what Joe Ryan has, and he's got four pitches instead of three. So I feel like this is really solid. Yeah, I mean, that's the other kind of uh, thing that I keep an eye on is is number of pitches because I, I know that I haven't been able to make the model make it uh, spit out what I want in terms of how valuable having more pitches is. But um, yeah, I notice when somebody has like three or four pitches above uh, 100 stuff plus. Um, but, but you know, on his own team, there's a there's an interesting comparison where Zach Gallen has uh, three pitches above 100 stuff plus. Um, and the changeup is close. So, you know, it, a good wide mix. Uh, Merrill Kelly has a slider curve and change that all are uh, are above average by stuff plus, And he's not as good, right? Yes, he's not as good because his forcing fastball stuff plus is 78. His sinker is 90 and his cutter is 85. So, like, I, I still keep an eye on that uh, on that fastball stuff plus as, as kind of almost a separate entry. And his uh, gallons at 106 uh, is good, uh, but um, I, I just nervous what that'll look like at 92 and a half if he drops down. Um, so I'm 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 watching the velo on him a little bit, and that if you, if I didn't push him as far as you want, I mean I got him at 12, so <laughs> I pushed him pretty hard. Um, you know the the reason I kind of stopped, stayed back was that velo. As far as other big movers up, it could be guys that either weren't rank coming into the season because we didn't know if they were even going to be in the rotation or anybody else who uh, who really surprised you as you looked at the numbers, the rest of the season projections and, and broke things down. Was there anybody else that really popped for you that moved up a ton? You know, I, I may not, I may have made a mistake by not pushing um, Steele further, Justin Steele. Uh, he's had really good results on the field and, um, you know, we're talking now about uh, 150 or so innings of an ERA of around three or lower. Um, good uh, strikeout rates, but not great. Um, and yet Sierra keeps pumping out, you know, hey, this is a four ERA guy. Um, you know, FIP, you know, remains, uh, you know, uh, skeptical, basically. Um, and the projections uh, range from the bat four three nine worse than league average all the way down to three six five for zips. Um, and um, our projections had a three nine three, so uh, hewed a little bit closer to the bat. And um, I was just I'm just a little skeptical with that lower strike I read twenty three percent to date and twenty three point seven rest of season with a ninety nine st- overall stuff plus. Like it just felt. Felt a little uh, soft, and you know I've got some head scratchers ahead of him, and I didn't know the big thing for me was do I put him ahead of the head scratchers or behind the head scratchers? And what I mean by that is Lance Lynn by the model four uh, three projected ERA, Patrick Sandoval four three four projected ERA. Um, the model doesn't like these guys, um, and yet you know Lynn's had a, Lynn had a bounce back uh, start and. You know, Alec Manoa is down here where, you know, no model likes him. Do I push Justin Steele ahead of those guys and, and push those guys down even further? Um, or do, you know, there's always a point where I just put in the guys that the model doesn't like that I've been like, this is too far. <laughs> you know, like I can't, I can't push this guy down any further. I have Alec Manoa at 60. I was like, you know, this is close to where the model has him. I have Steele behind him. I have Savali behind him. They have better projections. The model likes them better. Kyle Wright. The model likes Kyle Wright better. Um, but I, at some point, I had to be like, I got to put Alec Manoa down. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's a little bit. It's almost like how the sausage is made. It's just like sometimes rankings are like, well, I got to put this guy in eventually. I can't put Manoa down at like 100. You know what I mean? So <laughs> uh, so Steele ended up behind that group when he could have been behind, ahead of that group. So if you really want to like use the model and, 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 and you believe in it and you believe in steel. I had him at 71, but I think you could have him as high as, 
you know, 5960 uh, ahead of Savali, who's I have at 61, uh, ahead of Lynn, ahead of John Gray, ahead of Jose Barrios. So uh, you could, you could, and it also speaks to like what you were saying earlier about the like 40 through 70. Like there's a bit of a tier here. I think Nathan Eovaldi, Sonny Gray, 58 and 59, like I feel good about those guys and I want to roster them. And then from 60 down to 70, 75, there's like, I don't know, you know, maybe. <laughs> and I don't, I don't really know how to sort these guys. And, and each of them has like their backers, like Patrick Sandoval at 66. Like he's got people that love him. People he love really him. Does. Yeah. People really yelled at me uh, about my stuff plus number. And I was like, I'm just reporting a number, you know, <laughs> and it may not even capture everything about Sandoval. Cause he has a weird seam shifted wakes change up that drops less than people expect. So it's like a, a sweeper change up or something. And, I don't know. Maybe we don't capture how good that is, but he also had like starts with one strikeout. So he's kind of, I, I know people, even people who own him are like a little nervous about him. So, um, you know, that was steel was a guy that, uh, that I kind of, uh, I struggled with Mitch Keller. I like almost better than the model does. Um, you know, but, uh, we had him at 95 going into, I had him at 95 going into the season. I pushed him up to 75th. Because I think he's doing a lot of these things right. Um, and he looks like he's good. But the model still push, punches out a 4-2-9 ERA for him. So. And I'm here on Twitter talking about how he's an ace. you know. So I wish I could have pushed him further. But I have to also listen to the numbers I'm looking at. Well, he's baked a lot of bad cookies in the big leagues. So it's <laughs> hard for him to recover. He's got to prove himself. It's a lot it's really yeah, cooked that's a good in, way so. of putting it. <laughs> You know, we we want to see more of the good Mitch Keller. And again, Mitch Keller in the history of rates and barrels, the rates and barrels word cloud, his name is in the biggest text. Yeah, it's definitely there. Uh, the young guys, I think people always want to hear about the young guys, uh, the debuters, the rookies, and, um, you know, they're always one of the highest risers because, you know, I usually have little pockets of rookies in the preseason rankings where I'm like, I'm just ranking some rookies here. <laughs> um, you know, I have no idea how many innings they're going to get, so I can't push them any higher than this. But here's a little rookie pocket. Um, any case, um, I had Mason Miller one ahead of Taj Bradley because the model just loves Mason Miller <laughs> pumping out a, a 2980 ERA, 31.5% strikeout rate. Oh. Even with a little dip in in stuff plus in a second start, he still was like, you know, he's still one of the top five in stuff plus. So, you know, everything everything loves Mason Miller, except when you start thinking about I actually have to get some wins, or I'm in a quality start league. And the wall, yeah, the, the, the quality just, start league is the real problem. Yeah, that's a real one. And then, but the A's also just went through 28 games without a in April without a starting pitcher getting a win. It's a record, isn't it? Yes, it's yeah, a I record. Thought, I thought I saw that was a record, and I'm not sure it's going to change much because the bullpen is bad, the lineup is bad, they don't let their starters go deep. So it's like, uh, I don't think they'll go all year, <laughs> but um, it doesn't speak well for Mason Miller's sort of peripheral uh, stat numbers, his volume stat numbers. So I was tempted to put Taj Bradley ahead of him, but Bradley's in the minor leagues right now. Um, well, yeah, that's tough. That's, that's the tough part of this. The, the up and down nature of the prospects makes them even harder to rank because even with the data, you can more reliably compare apples to apples. But the more established starters don't have the risk of going down just for the sake of roster management, right? I mean, it could happen to Tanner Bybee, even mm. though he just commanded massive fab bids. The same thing that happened to Taj Bradley could happen to Tanner Bybee. We know these things going into it. At least mm. we should. We talk about it. People should understand the risk. Uh, but, but you're right about the Oakland bullpen. I, I can't believe there's a bullpen with a worse ERA than Oakland. They have a 683 ERA this oh. season. They almost have their walk rate. I know we like percentages more, but the rates are what's on the screen right now. 7.2% K rate against a 6.1% or 7.2 Ks per nine against 6.1 walks per nine. What the heck is that? That is <laughs> awful. How do so you do bad. that for a month? Who, who, who built this bullpen and why? And uh, like you can't, you can't help but like put together like, oh, well, they have the smallest analytics staff in the, in the big league. 
and they're always trying to do something different so it's 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 possible that they're like you know Ooh, we're gonna we're gonna try and build a a bullpen on uh command you know the giants have done that to a certain extent but what they're not doing is building it on stuff plus because they have a 90 stuff plus the worst bullpen in the league the second worst bullpen in the league is colorado's and that number doesn't even really count because altitude affects stuff plus so really you have to go to cincinnati's 95 stuff plus uh as the next one so they're an order below and if you're like okay well they're building it on location plus well a team that just signed shintaro Punjabi is not building it on location plus Nope. And they have the worst location plus in the big leagues, a 92. You have to go all the way up to the Yankees at 96 uh, and the White Sox at 96. It, I also think that proves that to some extent it's not really that useful of a stat. But they're bad in everything. <laughs> and uh, it's hard to be like to figure out what they're doing down there. Maybe they're collecting all those starters and the starters, they're going to sort through the starters and do that whole thing where the bullpen gets better as they... Uh, as they, you know, change, put starters in the bullpen, you know, maybe Fujinami can, maybe Fujinami can do something in the bullpen, you know, 350 ERA in September for the A's bullpen after an ERA North of six in April, that'd be quite the turnaround. Did they have the smallest analytics department in baseball in 2021 when they won 86 games? Like they had the I smallest so. analytics department when they were good too, right? This is, it is, that's part of, that's why you can't like, you know, but I'd also think that like the longer you do something, the more people are like, Oh, I know what you're doing. You know, like, you know, other teams are like looking around the league being like, okay, what are the Reds doing? Oh, this is what the Reds are doing. Okay. Because they need to formulate trade plans. Right. So like, okay, if we want to talk to the Reds, they really like this and they really like this. So let's put together a package and see if they bite on this. Right. So I think right now, uh, the A's have become so, you know, used to their approach, which is get guys who are in AAA or have played a little in the big leagues, guys who are really close that had good numbers in the minor leagues that scouts don't love. I mean, that not describe most of the return that they've ever gotten. Even the ones that that worked, Simeon, scouts don't love him because he's not a shortstop, right? You know, even the guys that where it worked out, a lot of times their acquisition. It wasn't something that scouts loved, but the numbers loved him, and they were close to the big leagues. And if you ask somebody on the A's, it's we don't like risk. We're buying, we're buying floor. Well, that just becomes super obvious to the rest of the league. Like I maintain that it's it, that there's it's in the realm of possibility that the Milwaukee Brewers traded for Asturi Ruiz only with the with the one idea in their head that they would trade him to the Oakland A's eventually. <laughs> That's a very specific acquisition. <laughs> we, we need a trade ship with Oakland. We want to get a catcher. And it turned out they got a catcher from a different team. They maybe thought they deal. were getting on Murphy, right? Yeah, they probably thought they were. That was, they needed a kid. They clearly needed a catcher. And why do you think, how did they jump in on the Murphy deal? Oh, because they were talking to the Oakland A's about Murphy. And the Oakland A's said, well, I don't know if Ruiz is enough for, for Murphy, right? That's how it happened. Right. I think they traded for Asturi Reese to trade for Sean Murphy. And they were like, fine, we'll take William Contreras. And because we have a great ability to develop catching, like the Brewers' ability to develop catching is like number one in the league. We're going to take William Contreras and all his bad framing numbers and make him one of the top framers in the league. That's that's how we do. So, I, I, you know, even that can be manipulated because then you're like, oh, Milwaukee, great catcher development. We have... You know Blake Sable <laughs> or whatever trade, it is. We could trade bad catchers to them. Who's actually bad take them. at all these framing things, and we don't think we can do it. And maybe they can't either. But let's let's see if they'll bite at this catcher or whatever. You know. So I don't know. You have to. There's this weird thing in baseball where you have to have an idea, and you have to. You it, it takes a lot to put to, to 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 get to the minor leagues and to get your scouts and everybody and be like, this is our idea. Hey guys, listen up. This is what we're gonna do. You know, and then you, everyone is on board, but then you become manipulatable if everybody else figures out what your idea is. You have to have an idea and then you have to have another idea and then you have to have another idea and you have to either seamlessly jump to the next idea or find a way to like bring all the ideas together so that you're doing all the things at once. But are you going to be good at doing all things at once? Well, or you can be a drunk poker player like the Rockies. 
just have no idea what you're ever doing. No one, no one knows what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, because right, that's right. You're the wild card at the table. So no one knows. <laughs> what's the What's the drunk player going to do? I don't know. Uh, just uh, I've been I've been rude to the A's. Uh, I do want to give him credit. One of the highest risers, and I do think uh, he was really interesting to put up against uh, all these other names. Uh, you know, we went hard on Taj Bradley in our in my main event, and and so we we may not have another like $200 bid in us for at least for a starting pitcher, right? And so we were looking at uh, Logan Allen and Tanner Bybee, and the model likes Logan Allen better. So we put in a couple like make good uh, make good bids uh, of around 90, you know, for Allen and Bybee, knowing that we probably wouldn't get Bybee because the people were really frothing. But in my heart, I was hoping we get Allen as he like dropped a little further than he should. You know what I mean? Like, just get lucky and get Allen. Um, our third guy in that bid train was nowhere near 90. Uh, I think we had J.P. Sears um, in that bid chain. I think he was third. And we had like an $11 bid on him or 16 or 13 or something like that in there. He has a projected 418 ERA rest of the season, 23% strikeout rate. He's improved his fastball to where it's getting close to league average. And he jumped from 159th in my rankings all the way up to 96. It's a bit of a deep league play, but it is, I think, instructive because it tells you a little bit of like, you know, oh, well, he has a 415 projected rest of the season. Tanner Bybee has a 454, right? And I have Tanner Bybee ahead of him because I understand how upside works. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I have Logan Allen ahead of him. It's a little bit like their fastballs are better than Sears and, you know, they scouts say they're better. So yes, I'll have them higher, but Sears was like this little like idea we had and, uh, Varland may be the next one. Louis Varland, uh, looks like he's going to come up. Looks like Tyler Malley is out for a month. Um, and that gives Louis Varland a month. I haven't 120 in my rankings cause I didn't know that when I was ranking. And he's behind uh, some guys with some real high fours ERA projections. If I knew Violin was in the big leagues, I could push him at least to where Sears is. You know what I mean? Like at least to 96. And, you know, maybe even further up into where Brian Bayo is uh, in, the, in the 80s. Um, around where Tanner Houck is in the 80s. So uh, Louis Violin is someone you should pick up. Um, I don't know how to, to put that up against Mason Miller or Taj Bradley, or like, it's really, it's really going to be up to your league settings. There's a lot of stuff like that, because if you are in a quality start league, I I just told someone on Twitter, maybe Louis Varland is the better play than Mason Miller in a quality start league. Cause you're just, if you get just zeros in quality starts from Mason Miller, he's like a super reliever for you. Do you think that there's a price bump on the second and third wave of prospects that come up where you're not going to get Taj Bradley cheaply, but FOMO and, and desperation starts to set in a little bit more because it did seem like Bybee's bids in the leagues I'm in at least were higher than the Bradley bids. And my model liked Bradley a lot better. It's a better home park for Bradley. Uh, it looked like a team more desperate for starting pitching. You know, I still maintain that Bradley's going to be up pretty soon. Yeah, and maybe part of this is the the difference in how you feel about your team two weeks after the season starts on April 16th versus four weeks after the season maybe starts on April 30th. Need, more desperate need, especially as these 4-3 ERAs <laughs> racking right. up earned right. runs. You know? Yeah, you have a little bit of more patience. You can say, okay, my pitchers are pretty healthy. I trust the guys month. I drafted. Yeah. <laughs> it's a couple bad starts. Not a big deal. I'm going to bid, but I'm not going to bid as aggressively. And then you know, there's also the supply of, of prospects remaining. I, we talked about this on the Friday show with Al yeah. a little bit. It's like, how many how many more elite of the elite prospects are there and trying to keep tabs on what that list looks like and when those players are likely to arrive is very challenging but it's almost like you get a good deal if you take a chance early and you get a better deal if you can wait until june or july like the fab prices across the board are cheaper later there might be some yeah and then there's there might be some pop-up you know prospects that don't Mm -hmm. actually have the same like uh they don't have the same scouting back like they have weren't on preseason 100s you know what i mean well yeah like Roybert salinas just thinking about oakland and trying to give them some credit the the best pitcher in their minor league organization right now by k minus bb percentage this season in very limited sample is Roybert salinas he was part of that three-team trade we were just talking about 32.9 percent k minus bb that's really good it's very interesting 
there's no reason if he pitches well at double A for these next few weeks, no reason why he wouldn't see some time at triple A and possibly throw some innings for Oakland this year. But why why would they hold him back? Yeah, and then you can uh, you can look at the uh, the triple A sheet if you're a subscriber. You can look at the triple A sheet and. You know, someone like Simeon Woods Richardson, he's like the next, he's the next wave, right? Like literally on his own team even, you know, because he's, it sounds like he's behind Varland. Um, you know, they, they'll cost, they'll cost even less, but you might have some model information on them from AAA. It seems like a lot of teams are at least doing at least one stop, one start in AAA on the way to the major leagues, which benefits us. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so you can look at that and you might find someone that's like coming up has a decent runway and costs you, you know, 11, 16 bucks like Sears, you know? So, um, you know, it's definitely, uh, I went hard on Bradley and, uh, I pulled back on, on the second wave and I, it went about as, ex- as I expected. I didn't, there were prices for Bobby that I would never have paid. I, I got with at, an AL labor. I, I, um, I think I was $3 short of getting Logan Allen. I really wanted him. There's not a ton that separates those two based on what they're able to do. It's just that question we've talked about for about a week. Who's really in the Guardians rotation as they get more healthy? Both of those guys should be, but there's a very good chance that both of them won't be. I did want to ask you about Hunter Brown, too. His first 50 innings in the big leagues have been outstanding. I saw a good chunk of his start last week against the Rays. I thought when Houston lost Justin Verlander, I thought this is going to be a level that the guy replacing him, effectively Hunter Brown, taking a spot in the back and everyone else moving up. Hunter Brown's not going to come near Justin Verlander's ratios. That couldn't possibly happen. It's only 30 innings so far this year, but the Astros are doing it again. They're letting a crazy good player go in free agency, replacing him with someone in the organization, and getting a remarkably similar result. Sierra's got him at 372, so the 237 ERA you see right now yeah, that's probably coming up based on some of the things that are happening. But the underlying numbers are good. And the biggest thing for Hunter Brown that I think has improved since he was a prospect is the control, the knock on him. He was a prospect of the week on this show, I think, in 2021. I got some. I got my hands on some like location plus, some early location plus numbers, I think, that year. Yeah, we were just worried about walks. We just like, oh, okay, what is this? Is this... Is this the Dylan C's problem where he can strike enough guys out to get away with it? It's like, well, no, the K rates come down too, but this is probably a more sustainable pitcher overall. This is a guy you can trust a lot more than the 32% K rate guy with a 10 to 12% walk rate because (laughs) that fluctuation is a really dangerous game to play. Yeah, I don't don't see anything uh, that is a red flag for me. it's a we're talking about 480 pitches so actually location plus has come online uh for a lot of these starters and he has a 104 location plus it's maybe not super predictive but it does tell you that he's not a terrible command guy you know what i mean um like brian abreu who does have a three pitch mix that could uh that could be a starter still has a 96 location plus and that's that's fairly bad for a starter um, Ronel Blanco, who you know they wanted to stretch out, and who has a, a fairly wide mix and a good stuff plus number, he has a 95 location plus. I think that's part of why he's not going to make it as a starter. Um, but Hunter Brown, 480 pitches, 104 location plus, f- fast fastball 104, uh, splitter 109, slider 100, which is a little bit surprising because he throws the slider like 100. <laughs> he throws it like 92 or something. His best pitch is his knuckle curve. And, uh, you know, I actually think that's kind of a fun little wrinkle because, um, you know, there's ch- there's a chance he could throw that more. I mean, he's at 30%. Maybe maybe that's where he needs to be exactly. It's 30-30-30 right now, fastball, slider, curve. But um, I don't see a reason not to like him. No, it's it's been a really impressive so far. Exceeding expectations. And it wasn't like he was a non-prospect. I mean, there was a, a pretty healthy scouting grade on him for a long time. And it was never a question whether he had good enough stuff. It was just a matter of, is he going to put it all together to be a consistent big league starter? And those first 50 innings we've seen are pointing to a resounding yes for Hunter Brown. Well, I got I got one name I want to throw out here. Matt Strom. Um, you know, people have noticed that, uh, you know, his, he's got an interesting pitch mix. He's definitely like a five and dive. 
so maybe not a great quality start guy. Um, but a 99 uh, fastball stuff plus, 104 on the cutter, 103 on the slider. Um, it seems like just enough of a mix. Um, you know, he's holding steady at 101 location, 101 stuff, 102 location, 345 pitches in. It all works, but I'm really just really glad to have Jordan Rosenblum uh, do these projections because I think one of the hardest things is to just factor in park factor, you know, just to like look at a guy like that and be like, oh yeah, he looks pretty good. Oh yeah, he pitches in Philadelphia. Does that does that take him off my list? And what does that mean? So you add it up together, he gets a four two one you know projection with a twenty seven percent strikeout rate. That's pretty good, and it's uh, I have him in the high fifties. He's you know he's what he is. I think is a really good team streamer in that he's a guy that I would start on the road almost all the time. You know, and then at home I would want to sort of pick and choose on some offenses. I think there will be some regression for him coming. Um, but at the same time, uh, he's a big jumper since he was not even ranked preseason because I thought they had Andrew Painter and other guys for depth and he was going to be a reliever for them. So the, kudos to the Phillies for uh, believing in Strom and kudos to Strom for doing the work and uh, a little bit of a uh, little bit of you know, sort of coaching around the side and, and then, you know, belief that he could work at 93 and, uh, and be this kind of pitcher at 93 instead of needing to be 94, 95 in relief. So Will Smith is back for the Dodgers. That's the next start for Matt Strom. It's a Tuesday start at LA. It's not quite the same daunting task that it was a year ago. The Dodgers are scuffling. I think I'd start him. You think you'd throw Strom against them on the road? Yeah. I'm looking at those other options, but the question about Matt Strom has never been talent. He's over a strikeout running for his career. I realize a lot of the time he's worked uh, as a reliever. Good ratios for his career as well. So it's just a, it's a matter of staying healthy. I mean, he's, he's doing it as far as workload goes. He's at least reached 80 pitches in his start this season. They do keep him closer to 60 or 70 on a pretty regular basis. So that might be the one thing working against him is that there's a soft winds. Yeah. Like winds is going to be a little bit rough. Yeah. It's, it's definitely more five and fly than, than six plus consistently. If he, if he has more than a handful of six inning starts this year, I'd be surprised, but the quality of the ratios might be there. And again, it comes back to the K rate. K rate's probably high enough where this actually can continue to work for Matt Strom. Uh, there were a few other new names on the list too, guys that because they hadn't pitched in in the big leagues previously or uh, hadn't pitched in the big leagues in a while, they they jumped up. I think Strom was a really good pull as far as someone that has, has taken a big step forward. As far as fallers go, we're not going to spend a ton of time dwelling on the biggest fallers, but who is someone you really liked going into the season who is presumably healthy today that took a big tumble on the list? Mm, it's usually related to health. Um, Ryan Nelson wasn't real high on the list, but he's taken a bit of a, a hit to start this season. Yeah, and um, the the fastball's not there anymore. You know, it's uh, Ryan Nelson used to be like he used to be, and this is the one like where I was like, oh, I've just been talking about how important fastball is, and he had a great fastball last year, and now he doesn't. I guess he still has a ninety eight stuff plus on the fastball and that could totally work with a 106 slider um but he's down to 98 stuff plus 105 location plus the one thing i can tell you about ryan nelson that keeps me afloat with him is his uh schedule is about to get pretty good mm. yeah he just had a trip to colorado over the weekend too so the that's gonna affect your stuff plus too yeah i think it was part of a two-start week so you may have actually been tempted to take that on and if you did unfortunately you I think the, that turned date, out well do you have the date on that one real quick because i can i can do play some schedule hopping here real quick. Mm, i can get that date that would have been to 29th uh, 29th okay so the d-back schedule uh this is an awful way to show the schedule what oh god because they want me to buy the tickets i get it so the 29th what are you doing to get the schedule? Next start is going to be Saturday against the Nationals. Next week, he's home Thank you. against the Giants. These are two very good yes. starts. And doesn't is there Marlins or he misses the Marlins? He misses the Marlins. I think, well, they, they have two off days. They're off today. And by the way, fingers crossed that Corbin Carroll's MRI comes back clean. Off today, 
off Thursday. Is Welsh going to be okay to do the show tomorrow with Corbin Carroll? Like if, <laughs> like if, if Corbin Carroll no has a in the problem, major leagues, oh my god. Yeah, we're going to have to make sure he's check in with him today just to make sure everything's but okay. But yes, most likely Nationals, Marlins, and then uh, possible uh, Giants or A's after that. Yes, and then this Pirates. is a good stretch for these yes. pitchers. Look at Very that. Until stretch. May 21st, he gets Pirates, A's, Giants, Marlins, Nationals. You know, what, you know it is kind of – I think that's funny that you were like, oh, they have these two off days. When people do play the schedule game this far out, they get in trouble, I think. Because there's all these like, oh, well, we're pushing a start. Or, oh, we're using the off day and we're skipping them. You know what I mean? It's like all this stuff. Uh, it almost never turns out the way they're expecting. But just looking at the quality of the offenses that they are facing generally, it looks like he's going to have a good part of the schedule. Uh, May 22, they go to Philadelphia. Uh, and that's when it gets a little hairy. Yeah, we can worry about that in about three weeks. So that's good. It's a good stretch here for these next few series for the Diamondbacks pitching staff as a whole. Uh, speaking of rotation machinations, it looks like the Dodgers are going to go to a six-man rotation, at least for a little while, because they have an off day on Thursday, but it was announced over the weekend that Gavin Stone is supposed to come up and start at home against the Phillies. I know there were some Gavin Stone-specific questions on Twitter, and it was basically like, why doesn't the model like Gavin Stone more than it does what what is the model seeing in him or what would what about gavin stone would come up light there i don't know that doesn't love his shape so people say oh he throws 95 but uh this model said he had a below average fastball uh by stuff plus so i'm I'm guessing it doesn't love the shape um it liked his slider but it didn't like his his for his splitter and i would just say it's not a great amount of sample for splitter the model doesn't do great on changeups everyone says his splitter is amazing so if you give him uh, let's say a 94 mile an hour fastball uh with iffy shape um and then a plus splitter and a good slider i mean he really sounds like tony gonsolin um and the the thing that you want to know is exactly how good that shape is on the four seam and how good his command is so <clears throat> if he turns out to be Tony Gonsolin, uh, we'll have arguments about how good he is, even if he is that good. <laughs> you know, so we don't even know how good Tony Gonsolin is, but it does sound like Tony Gonsolin. Um, and, uh, and so I think that's, that's interesting. Uh, <clears throat> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't take him off any list. Um, I would put him somewhere around Tanner Bybee, where it's like, you know, the scouts love him. The model doesn't love him yet. Maybe, uh, but the model doesn't hate him. So I just, I I don't know that I'm saving like a $200 bid for Gavin Stone is what I'm saying. Right, right. Yeah, it might be more like the Logan Allen bids with the Dodger tax tacked on top, right? So that's 10 to 12% of a budget instead of uh, high single digits. I would rather have Logan Allen. Well, and I think the challenging part of this is with the Dodgers, how long do they stick with that six-man rotation? Or is someone actually hurt? Are they Are they just lying to us the guardians need alan more than i think the dodgers need stone so that's something to think of uh the two biggest droppers that i can think of i put right next to each other at 33 and 35 are julio urias and christian javier mm. now they both have a a 4-2 uh, era projection urias has a, a 105 stuff plus so he still has the good sweeper he has a 23 percent projected strikeout rate so uh that's where you know, you have that Dustin May ask, like, you know, question mark about the strikeout rate without the sort of Dustin May ask heights and stuff plus. Uh, so that's why Urias fell. Um, Javier has a 99 stuff plus this year and a 4.25 ERA projection. And a lot of people really <clears throat> didn't like that. But Javier last year, remember he was like a reliever going into uh, starting. And so he started the year in the high 93s, even you know, even 94 pluses in, you know, even in, in August and in July, he had a 94 uh, plus uh, uh, mile per hour fastball did Christian Javier. He ended the season around 93. He started this season around 93. Now he's 92, nine. So some of it again is just uh, straight velo. Uh, but also last year he had uh, an inch and a half, an inch more ride on his four seam. Um, and, uh, and his slider was, you know, obviously harder, um, uh, and, uh, you know, had a little bit less depth. So I think he's a little bit more, more average last year. He had like this whiff of strider around him, 
you know? We've got plus ride on a 94-mile-an-hour fastball with a plus breaking ball, and you're just like, oh, yeah, he's like Strider. He's going to be a two-pitch guy that dominates. This year, you're like, oh, man, the four-seam has really taken a step back, and the slider's 78 now. Like, there's not that many people who are dominating with a 78-mile-an-hour slider. Yeah, he throws that pitch a lot, too. So, you know, when I look at uh, the, the the stuff plus for Houston and I and I see Javier, uh, like, I kind of believe it. It's a 103 stuff plus slider and a 96 stuff plus fastball. If you're going to be mostly a two-pitch pitcher, that's problematic. That, those are not the kind of numbers you see uh, from a two-pitch, dominating two-pitch pitcher. It's interesting, though, that with all of this, K-rate, of course, is down, way down from where it was last year. 33.2% a season ago, 25.2% right now. He has cut the walk rate down to 5%. So there's a little bit of a trade-off there. I think part of this is that guys can hit him in the zone more often. 85% zone contact percentage. So a more hittable Christian Javier might walk fewer batters, but it probably means that the home run rate we saw pre-2022, that could be here to stay. So that's kind of baked in. Yeah, this is a guy who gave up more than a homer per half for nine for his first two years. Yeah, so unless something changes with those breaking pitches I, I, or unless some velo comes back, I, I think it's fair to lower the the ceiling a little bit on Christian Javier. He's a bit of a sell-high candidate. Well, you, yeah, move him while you can because the ratios still look fine. Most people out there are going to say strikeout per inning, 350-ish ERA, good whip on a good team. I'll buy that. I mean, it could go all uh, haywire, and you know, he he adds two miles an hour, but that's not that's not what I see when I look at his his chart. It's a very steady downward uh, downward curve on the on the uh, on the his velo chart. You know what I mean? It's not really up and down. It's like it's just going down. I don't think he's the kind of guy that if you trade for him, he's going to fall apart on you though either. Like I think he's solid. He's just not quite that. That Strider esque, like like you said, we we saw a ceiling from him last year that is looking like it's unsustainable based on what he's doing right now. One of one of the bigger droppers in Velo. I mean, if you just look year over year over year, he's went from ninety three nine to nine two seven according to uh, Statcast. So. so we covered a lot of ground today. There are probably fifty more pitchers we could have talked about. We'll try to get to them at some future episode. We're going to focus on some of the hitters that have moved up and down the most. Since the season started on our Wednesday episode, we've got a prospect episode, of course, coming up on Tuesday. If you want to check these rankings and projections out, you can do that for a dollar a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Tuesday. Thanks for listening. <laughs>